Book one, part two of the Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. The Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia by Philip Sidney. Book one, part two. This letter is from a nobleman of his country named Philanax, appointed by the Prince Regent in this time of his retiring, and most worthy so to be for there lives no man whose excellent wit more simply embraceth integrity, beside his unfeigned love to his master, wherein never yet any could make question, saving whether he loved Basilius or the prince better, a rare temper, while most men either servilely yield to all appetites, or with an obstinate austerity, looking to that they fancy good, in effect neglect the prince's person. This, then, being the man whom of all other and most worthy the prince chiefly loves, it should seem, for more than the letter I have not to guess by, that the prince, upon his return from Delphos, Philanax, then lying sick, had written unto him his determination, rising, as evidently appears, upon some oracle he had there received. To this Philanax sent a reply, urging that wisdom and virtue be the only destinies appointed for man to follow, and that the heavenly power should be reverenced, not searched into, and their mercies rather by prayers to be sought, than their hidden counsels by curiosity. That sooth saying, since after all the gods have left us to ourselves sufficient guides, are nothing but fancy, wherein there must either be vanity or infallibleness, and so either not to be respected or not to be prevented. Therefore he counselled Basilius to continue his government, which had been good to his people, and which his neighbours had found not so hurtlessly strong, that they thought it better to rest in his friendship than make a new trial of his enmity. For his second resolution of confining his daughters, so as to suffer no unworthy suitor to come to them, and indeed to keep them both unmarried, that were to kill the joy of posterity. Strictness is not the way to preserve virtue. He had better leave women's minds the most untamed, that way of any for no cage will please a bird and every dog is the fiercer for tying as for giving pamela to the care of the clown demeters it was folly for fools can hardly be virtuous he cannot be good that knows not why he's good these reasons he philanax humbly submitted to the gracious consideration of basilius beseeching him again to stand wholly on his own virtue by the matter of this letter you may perceive that the cause of all hath been the vanity which possesseth many who making a perpetual mansion of this poor baiting-place of man's life are desirous to know the certainty of things to come, wherein there is nothing so certain as our continual uncertainty. But what in particular points the oracle was in faith I know not, neither Philanax himself distinctly knew. But this experience shows us that Basilius's judgment, corrupted with the prince's fortune, hath rather heard than followed the wise, as I take it, counsel of Philanax. For having left the stern of his government, with much amazement to the people, among whom many strange brutes are received for current, and with some appearance of danger, in respect of the valiant Amphilus's nephew, and much envying the ambitious number of the nobility against Philanax, to see Philanax so advanced, though to speak simply he deserved more than as many of us as there be in Arcadia, the prince himself hath hidden his head in such sort as I told you, not sticking plainly to confess that he means not while he breathes, that his daughter shall have any husband, but keep them thus solitary with him, where he gives no other body leave to visit him at any time but a certain priest, who being excellent in poetry he makes him write out such things as he best likes he being no less delightful in conversation than needful for devotion and about twenty specified shepherds in whom some for exercises and some for eclogues he taketh greater recreation and now you know as much as myself calendar by this time discovered that it was fitter time to pay with their suppers the duty they owed to their stomachs than to break the air with idle discourses for more which he had learned of homer never to entertain either hosts or guests with long speeches till the mouth of hunger be stopped so withal he arose leading palladius who assured him that he had been more fed by his discourses than he could be by the skilfullest trenchermen of media 
to the parlour where they used to sup. Being come to the supping-place, one of Calendar's servants rounded in his ear, at which, his colour changing, he retired himself into his chamber, commanding his men diligently to wait upon Palladius, and to excuse his absence with some necessary business he had presently to dispatch, which they accordingly did, for some few days forcing themselves to let no change appear. But though they framed their countenances never so cunningly, Palladius perceived there was some ill-pleasing accident fallen out. Whereupon, being again set alone at supper, he called to the steward, and desired him to tell him the matter of his sudden alteration, who, after some trifling excuses, in the end confessed unto him that his master had received news that his son, before the day of his near marriage, chanced to be at a battle which was to be fought between the gentlemen of Lacedaemon and the Helots, who, winning the victory, he was there made prisoner, going to deliver a friend of his taken prisoner by the Helots, that the poor young gentleman had offered great ransom for his life, but that the hate those peasants conceived against all gentlemen was such that every hour he was to look for nothing but some cruel death, which hitherunto had only been delayed by the captain's vehement dealing for him, who seemed to have a heart of more manly pity than the rest. But Palladius could scarce hear out his tale with patience, so was his heart torn in pieces with compassion of the case, liking of Calendar's noble behaviour, kindness for his respect to himward, and desire to find some remedy, besides the image of this dearest friend Deophantus, whom he judged to suffer either a like or worse fortune. Therefore, rising from the board, he desired the steward to tell him, particularly the ground and event of this accident, because by knowledge of many circumstances there might perhaps some way of help be opened, whereunto the steward easily in this sort condescended. My lord, said he, when our good king Basilius, with better success than expectation, took to wife, even in his more than decaying years, the fair young princess Gynecia, there came with her a young lord, cousin German to herself, named Argalus, led hither partly with the love and honour of his noble kinswoman, partly with the humour of youth, whichever thinks that good whose goodness he sees not. And in this court he received so good increase of knowledge that, after some years spent, he so manifested a most virtuous mind in all his actions, that Arcadia gloried such a plant was transported unto them, being a gentleman indeed most rarely accomplished, excellently learned, but without all vain glory, friendly without facetiousness, valiant so as, for my part, I think the earth hath no man that hath done more heroical acts than he. However now of late the same flies of the two princes of Thessalia and Macedon, and hath long done of our noble prince Amphilus, who, indeed, in our parts is only accounted likely to match him. But I say for my part, I think no man for valour of mind and ability of body to be preferred, if equal, to Argalus. My master's son Clytophon, whose loss gives the cause to this discourse, and yet gives me cause to begin with Argalus, since his loss proceeds from Argalus, being a young gentleman as of great birth, being our king's sister's son, so truly of good nature, and one that can see good and love it, haunted more the company of this worthy Argalus than of any other, so as if there were not a friendship which is so rare as it is to be doubted whether it be a thing indeed, or but a word, at least there was such a liking and friendliness, as hath brought forth the effects which you shall hear. About two years since it so fell out that he brought him to a great lady's house, sister to my master, who had with her her only daughter, the fair Parthenia. Fair indeed, fame I think itself daring not to call any fairer, if it be not Helen, Queen of Corinth, and the two incomparable sisters of Arcadia. And that which made her fairness much the fairer, was that it was but a fair ambassador of a most fair mind, full of wit, and a wit which delighted more to judge itself than to show itself, her speech being as rare as precious, her silence without sullenness, her modesty without affectation, her shamefastness without ignorance. In sum, one that to praise well, one must first set down with himself what it is to be excellent, for so she is. 
I think you think that these perfections meeting could not choose but find one another, and delight in that they found. For likeness of manners is likely in reason to draw liking with affection. Men's actions do not always cross with reason. To be short, it did so indeed. They loved, although for a while the fire thereof, hope's wings being cut off, were blown by the bellows of despair upon this occasion. There had been a good while before, and so continued, a suitor to this same lady, a great nobleman, though of Laconia, yet near neighbour to Parthenia's mother, named Demagoras. A man mighty in riches and power, and proud thereof, stubbornly stout, loving nobody but himself, and for his own delight's sake, Parthenia, and pursuing vehemently his desire, his riches had so gilded over all his other imperfections, that the old lady, though contrary to my lord her brother's mind, had given her consent, and using a mother's authority upon her fair daughter, had made her yield thereunto, not because she liked her choice, but because her obedient mind had not yet taken upon it to make choice, and the day of the assurance drew near, when my young lord Clitophon brought this noble Argalus, perchance principally to see so rare a sight as Parthenia, by all well-judging eyes, was judged. But though few days were before the time of assurance appointed, yet love, that saw he had a great journey to make in short time, hasted so himself that, before her word could tie her to Demagoras, her heart hath vowed her to Argalus, with so grateful a receipt and mutual affection that, if she desired above all things to have Argalus, Argalus feared nothing but to miss Parthenia. And now Parthenia had learned both liking and misliking, loving and loathing, and out of passion began to take the authority of judgment, insomuch that when the time came that Demagoras, full of proud joy, thought to receive the gift of herself, she, with words of resolute refusal, though with tears, showing she was sorry she must refuse, assured her mother she would first be bedded in her grave than wedded to Demagoras. The change was no more strange than unpleasant to the mother, who, being determinately, lest I should say of a great lady wilfully, bent to marry her to Demagoras, tried all ways which a witty and hard-hearted mother could use upon so humble a daughter, in whom the only resisting power was love. But the more she assaulted, the more she taught Parthenia to defend, and the more Parthenia defended, the more she made her mother obstinate in the assault, who at length, finding that Argalus standing between them, was it that most eclipsed her affection from shining upon Demagoras, she sought all means how to remove him, so much the more as he manifested himself an unremovable suitor to her daughter, first by employing him in as many dangerous enterprises as ever the evil stepmother Juno recommended to the famous Hercules, but the more his virtue was tried, the more pure it grew, while all the things she did to overthrow him did set him up upon the height of honour. Lastly, by treasons, Demagoras and she would have made away Argalus, but he with providence and courage so passed over all, that the mother took such a spiteful grief at it, that her heart brake withal, and she died. But then Demagoras, assuring himself that now Parthenia was her own, she would never be his, and receiving as much by her own determinate answer, not more desiring his own happiness than envying Argalus, whom he saw with narrow eyes even ready to enjoy the perfection of his desires, strengthening his conceit with all the mischievous counsels which disdain, love, and envious pride could give unto him, the wicked wretch, taking a time that Argalus was gone to his country, to fetch some of his principal friends to honour the marriage, which Parthenia had most joyfully consented unto, the wicked Demagoras, I say, desiring to speak with her, with unmerciful force, her weak arms in vain resisting, rubbed all over her face a most horrible poison, the effect whereof was such that never leper looked more ugly than she did, which done, having his men and horses ready, departed away in spite of her servants, as ready to revenge as could be in such an unexpected mischief. But the abominableness of this fight being come to my lord Calendar, he made such means, both by our king's intercession and his own, that by the king and senate of Lacedaemon, Demagoras was upon pain of death, banished the country, who, hating the punishment where he should have hated the fault, 
joined himself with all the power he could make unto the Helots, lately in rebellion against that state, and they, glad to have a man of such authority among them, made him their general, and under him have committed diverse the most outrageous villainies that a base multitude, full of desperate revenge, can imagine. But within a while after this pitiful fact, committed upon a Parthenia, Argalus returned, poor gentleman, having her fair image in his heart, and already promising his eyes the uttermost of his felicity, when they, nobody else daring to tell it him, were the first messengers to themselves of their own misfortune. I mean not to move passions with telling you the grief of both when he knew her. For at first he did not, nor at first knowledge could possibly have virtue's aid, so ready as not even weakly to lament the loss of such a jewel. So much more as that skilful men in that art assured it was unrecoverable. But within a while, truth of love, which still held the first face in his memory, a virtuous constancy, and even a delight to be constant, faith given, and inward worthiness shining through the foulest mist, took so full hold of the noble Argalus that, not only in such comfort which witty arguments may bestow upon adversity, but even with the most abundant kindness that an eye-ravished lover can express, he laboured both to drive the extremity of sorrow from her, and to hasten the celebration of their marriage, whereunto he unfeignedly showed himself no less cheerfully earnest, than if she had never been disinherited of that goodly portion which nature had so liberally bequeathed unto her, and for that cause deferred his intended revenge upon Demagoras, because he might continually be in her presence, showing more humble serviceableness and joy to content her than ever before. But as he gave this rare example, not to be hoped for of any other but of another Argalus, so, of the other side, she took a stranger course in affection, for where she desired to enjoy him more than to live, yet did she overthrow both her own desire and his, and in no sort would yield to marry him, with a strange encounter of love's affects and effects, that he, by an affection sprung from excessive beauty, should delight in horrible foulness, and she, of a vehement desire to have him, should kindly build a resolution never to have him, for truth it is that so in heart she loved him, as she could not find in her heart, he should be tied to what was unworthy of his presence. Argalus, with a most heavy heart, still pursuing his desire, she, fixed of mind to avoid further entreaty and to fly all company, which even of him grew unpleasant to her. One night she stole away, but with as yet it is unknown, or indeed what is become of her. Argalus sought her long, and in many places, at length despairing to find her, and the more he despaired, the more enraged, weary of his life, but first determining to be revenged of Demagoras, he went alone disguised into the chief town held by the Helots, where, coming into his presence, guarded about by many of his soldiers, he could delay his fury no longer for a fitter time, but setting upon him, in despite of a great many that helped him, gave him divers mortal wounds, and himself no question had been there presently murdered, but that Demagoras himself desired he might be kept alive, perchance with intention to feed his own eyes, with some cruel execution to be laid upon him. But death came sooner than he looked for, yet having had leisure to appoint his successor, a young man not long before delivered out of the prison of the king of Lacedaemon, where he should have suffered death, for having slain the king's nephew, but him he named, who at that time was absent making roads upon the Lacedaemonians, but being returned, the rest of the Helots, for the great liking they conceived of that young man, especially because they had none among themselves to whom the others would yield, were content to follow Demagoras's appointment, and well hath it succeeded with him, he having since done things beyond the hope of the youngest heads, of whom I speak the rather, because he hath hitherto preserved Argalus alive under pretence to have him publicly, and with exquisite torments, executed after the end of these wars, of which they hope for a soon and prosperous issue. And he hath likewise hitherto kept my young lord Clitophon alive, who, to redeem his friend, went with certain other noblemen of Laconia, and forces gathered by them, to besiege this young and new successor. But he, issuing out to the wonder of all men, defeated the Laconians, slew many of the noblemen, and took Clitophon prisoner. 
And now, sir, though to say the truth, we can promise ourselves little of their safeties while they are in the helot's hands, I have delivered all I understand touching the loss of my lord's son and the cause thereof, which though it was not necessary to Clytophon's case to be so particularly told, yet the strangeness of it made me think it would not be unpleasant unto you. Palladius thanked him greatly for it, being even passionately delighted, with hearing so strange an accident of a knight so famous over the world as Argalus, with whom he had himself a long desire to meet, so had fame poured a noble emulation in him towards him. But then, well bethinking himself, he called for armour, desiring them to provide him of horse and guide, and armed, all saving the head, he went up to Calendar, whom he found lying upon the ground, having ever since banished both sleep and food, as enemies to the mourning which passion persuaded him was reasonable. But Palladius raised him up, saying unto him, No more, no more of this, my lord Calendar. Let us labour to find, before we lament the loss. You know myself, Miss Swan, who, though he be not my son, I would disdain the favour of life after him. But while there is hope left, let not the weakness of sorrow make the strength of it languish. Take comfort, and good success will follow. And with those words comfort seemed to lighten in his eyes, and that in his face and gesture was painted victory. Once Calendar's spirits were so revived with all that, receiving some sustenance and taking a little rest, he armed himself, and those few of his servants he had left unsent, and so himself guided Palladius to the place upon the frontiers, where already there were assembled, between three and four thousand men, all well disposed for Calendar's sake to abide any peril. But like men disused with a long peace, more determinate to do than skilful how to do, which Palladius soon perceiving, he desired to understand, as much as could be delivered unto him, the estate of the Helots. And he was answered by a man so well acquainted with the affairs of Laconia, that they were a kind of people who, having been of old freemen and possessioners, the Lacedaemonians had conquered them, and laid not only tribute, but bondage upon them, which they had long borne, till of late the Lacedaemonians, through greediness growing more heavy than they could bear, and through contempt less careful how to make them bear, they had with a general consent, rather springing by the generalness of the cause than of any artificial practice, set themselves in arms, and wetting their courage with revenge, and grounding their resolution upon despair, they had proceeded with unlooked-for success, having already taken diverse towns and castles, with the slaughter of many of the gentry, for whom no sex nor age could be accepted for an excuse, and that, although at the first they had fought rather with beastly fury than any soldierly discipline, practice had now made them comparable to the best of the Lacedaemonians, and more of late than ever. Palladius, having gotten his general knowledge of the party against whom, as he had already of the party for whom he was to fight, he went to Calendar and told him plainly that by plain force there was small appearance of helping Clytophon, but some device was to be taken in hand, wherein no less discretion than valour was to be used. Whereupon the council of the chief men was called, and at last this way Palladius, who by some experience, but especially by reading histories, was acquainted with stratagems, invented, and was by all the rest approved, that all the men there should dress themselves like the poorest sort of the people in Arcadia, having no banners, the bloody shirts hanged upon long staves, with some bad bagpipes instead of drum and fife, their armour they should, as well as might be, cover, or at least make them look so rustily and ill-favouredly, as might well become such wearers, and this the whole number should do, saving two hundred of the best-chosen gentlemen for courage and strength, whereof Palladius himself would be one, who should have their arms chained and be put in carts like prisoners. This being performed according to the agreement, they marched on towards the town of Cardamilla, where Clytophon was captive, and being come two hours before sunset within view of the walls, the helots already descrying their number, and beginning to sound the alarm, they sent a cunning fellow, so much the cunninger, as that he could mask it under rudeness, who with such a kind of rhetoric as weeded out all flowers of rhetoric, delivered unto the helots assembled together that they were country people of Arcadia, no less oppressed by their lords, and no less desirous of liberty than they, 
and therefore had put themselves in the field and had already besides a great number slain taken nine or ten score gentlemen prisoners whom they had there well and fast chained now because they had no strong retiring place in arcadia and were not yet of number enough to keep the field against their prince's forces they were come to them for succour knowing that daily more and more of their quality would flock unto them but that in the meantime lest their prince should pursue them or the lacedaemonian king and nobility for the likeness of the cause fall upon them they desired that if there were not room enough for them in the town that yet they might encamp under the walls and for surety have their prisoners who were such men as were able to make their peace kept within the town the healers made but a short consultation being glad that their contagion had spread itself into arcadia and making account that if the peace did not fall out between them and their king that it was the best way to set fire in all the parts of greece besides their greenness to have so many gentlemen in their hands in whose ransoms they already meant to have a share to which haste of concluding two things well helped the one that their captain with the wisest of them was at that time absent about confirming or breaking the peace with the state of lacedaemon the second that ever many good fortunes began to breed a proud recklessness in them therefore sending to view the camp and finding that by their speech they were arcadians with whom they had had no war never suspecting a private man's credit could have gathered such a force and that all other tokens witnessed them to be of the lowest calling besides the chains upon the gentlemen they granted not only leave for the prisoners but for some others of the company and to all that they might harbour under the walls so opened they the gates and received in the carts which being done and palladius seeing fit time he gave the sign and shaking of their chains which were made with such art that though they seemed most strong and fast he that wear them might easily loose them they drew their swords hidden in the carts and so setting upon the ward made them to fly either from the place or from their bodies and so give entry to the arcadians before the helots could make any head to resist them but the helots being men hardened against dangers gathered as well as they could together in the market-place and thence would have given a shrewd welcome to the arcadians but that palladius blaming those that were slow heartening them that were forward but especially with his own example leading them made such an impression into the squadron of the helots that at first the great body of them beginning to shake and stagger at length every particular body recommended the protection of his life to his feet then calendar cried to go to the prison where he thought his son was but palladius wished him first to house all the helots and make themselves master of the gates but ere that could be accomplished the helots had gotten new heart and with divers sorts of shot from corners of streets and house-windows galled them which courage was come unto them by the return of their captain who though he brought not many with him having dispersed most of his companies to other of his holes yet meeting a great number running out of the gate not yet possessed by the arcadians he made them turn face and with banners displayed his trumpet give the loudest testimony he could of his return which once heard the rest of the helots which were otherwise scattered bent thitherward with a new life of resolution as if their captain had been a root out of which as into branches their courage had sprung then began the fight to grow most sharp and the encounters of more cruel obstinacy the arcadians fighting to keep that that they had won the helots to recover what they had lost the arcadians as in an unknown place having no succour but in their hands the helots as in their own place fighting for their livings wives and children there was victory and courage against revenge and despair safety of both sides being no otherwise to be gotten but by destruction at length the left wing of the arcadians began to lose ground which palladius seeing he straight thrust himself with his choice band against the throng that oppressed them with such an overflowing of valour that the captain of the helots whose eyes soon judged of that wherewith themselves were governed saw that he alone was worth all the rest of the arcadians which he so wondered at that it was hard to say whether he more liked his doings or misliked the effects of his doings but determining that upon that cast the game lay and disdaining to fight with any other he sought only to join with him which mind was no less in palladius having easily marked that he was as the first mover of all the other hands 
and so their thoughts meeting in one point they consented though not agreed to try each other's fortune and so joined themselves to be the uttermost of the one side they began a combat which was so much inferior to the battle in noise and number as it was surpassing it in bravery of fighting and as it were delightful terribleness their courage was guided with skill and their skill was armed with courage neither did their hardiness darken their wit nor their wit cool their hardiness both valiant as men despising death both confident as unwonted to be overcome yet doubtful by their present feeling and respectful by what they had already seen their feet steady their hands diligent their eyes watchful and their hearts resolute the parts either not armed or weakly armed were well known and according to the knowledge should have been sharply visited but that the answer was as quick as the objections yet some lighting the smart bred rage and the rage bred smart again till both sides beginning to wax faint and rather desirous to die accompanied than hopeful to live victorious the captain of the helots with a blow whose violence grew of fury not of strength or of strength proceeding of fury straight palladius upon the side of the head that he reeled as stoned and withal the helmet fell off he remaining bareheaded but other of the arcadians were ready to shield him from any harm by tries of that nakedness but little needed it for his chief enemy instead of pursuing that advantage kneeled down offering to deliver the pommel of his sword in token of yielding withal speaking aloud unto him that he thought it more liberty to be his prisoner than any other's general palladius standing upon himself and misdoubting some craft and the helots that were next their captain wavering between looking for some stratagem or fearing treason what said the captain hath palladius forgotten the voice of deiphantus by that watchword palladius knew that it was his only friend pyrocles whom he had lost upon the sea and therefore both most full of wonder so to be met if they had not been full of joy than wonder caused the retreat to be sounded deiphantus by authority and palladius by persuasion to which helped well the little advantage that was of either side and that of the helots party their captain's behaviour had made as many amazed as saw or heard of it and of the arcadian side the good old calendar striving more than his old age could achieve was newly taken prisoner but indeed the chief part of the fray was the knight which with her black arms pulled their malicious sights one from the other but he that took calendar meant nothing less than to save him but only so long as the captain might learn the enemy's secrets towards whom he led the old gentleman when he caused the retreat to be sounded looking for no other delivery from that captivity but by the painful taking away of all pain when whom should he see next to the captain with good tokens how valiantly he had fought that day against the arcadians but his son clitophon but now the captain had called all the principal helots to be assembled as well to deliberate what they had to do as to receive a message from the arcadians among whom palladius virtue besides the love calendar bare him having gotten principal authority he had persuaded them to seek rather by parley to recover the father and the son than by the sword since the goodness of the captain assured him that way to speed and his valour wherewith he was of old acquainted made him think any other way dangerous this therefore was done in orderly manner giving them to understand that as they came but to deliver clitophon so offering to leave the footing they already had in the town to go away without any further hurt so as they might have the father and the son without ransom delivered which conditions being heard and conceived by the helots deiphantus persuaded them without delay to accept them the helots as much moved by his authority as persuaded by his reasons were content therewith whereupon palladius took order that the arcadians should presently march out of the town taking with them their prisoners while the knight with mutual diffidence might keep them quiet and ere day came they might be well on of their way and so avoid those accidents which in late enemies a look a word or a particular man's quarrel might engender this being on both sides concluded on calendar and clitophon who now with infinite joy did know each other came to kiss the hands and feet of deiphantus clitophon telling his father how deiphantus not without danger to himself had preserved him from the furious malice of the helots and even that day going to conclude the peace least in his absence he might receive some hurt 
he had taken him in his company and given him armour upon promise he should take the part of the helots which he had in this fight performed little knowing that it was against his father but said clitophon here is he who as a father hath new begotten me and as a god hath saved me from many deaths who already laid hold on me which calendar with tears of joy acknowledge beside his own deliverance only his benefit but daiphantus who loved doing well for itself and not for thanks brake off those ceremonies desiring to know how palladius for so he called musidorus was coming to that company and what his present estate was whereof receiving a brief declaration of calendar he sent him word by clitophon that he should not as now come unto him because he held himself not so sure a master of the helots minds that he would adventure him in their power who was so well known with an unfriendly acquaintance but that he desired him to return with calendar whither also he within few days having dispatched himself of the helots would repair calendar would needs kiss his hand again for that promise protesting he would esteem his house more blessed than a temple of the gods if it had once received him and then desiring pardon for argalus daiphantus assured them that he would die but he would bring him though till then kept in close prison indeed for his safety the helots being so animated against him as else he could not have lived and so taking their leave of him calendar clitophon palladius and the rest of the arcadians swearing that they would no further in any sort molest the helots they straightway marched out of the town carrying both their dead and wounded bodies with them and by morning were already within the limits of arcadia the helots of the other side shutting their gates gave themselves to bury their dead to cure their wounds and rest their wearied bodies till the next day bestowing the cheerful use of the light upon them daiphantus caused a general convocation to be made in the which he cheereth them for the escape from this recent gulf of danger and put straightly before them the happy terms he has obtained from the lacedaemonians next he telleth them that he shall leave them a motion to which the helots will not agree nor scarce hear but after much discourse they are brought to entertain on the condition that he will return should the lacedaemonians break this treaty and they need him end of book one part two